podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. to the Rock Chalk Talk podcast. We have a, a special treat for you tonight with so much going on in both basketball and baseball. We're actually going to, for the first time ever in the podcast, have two separate guests, but have them in different segments where we're not all talking to each other. So to start us off, I'm actually, I'm joined here by Steve Fetch. We are going to go ahead and talk a little bit of basketball. Actually, it's probably going to be a little bit more like a lot of basketball because there's some really big news, obviously, that happened today. Um, this evening, Svi decided that he was going to come back for his senior season of basketball, which, Fetch, I, I know you and I have both said multiple times we, were, we would be completely shocked if he decided to uh, come back instead of going to play professional basketball somewhere this year. Do you have anything else to add to that other than just utter shock at this point? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not even really – super prepared to discuss like a lineup or anything like that. Cause I was just kind of assuming that Svi was gone and we would have to, you know, replace him somehow. But um, I, obviously it's hard to see it being anything but good for Kansas. I mean, he struggled a little bit defensively at times last year, but um, offensively he came into his own, I think a little bit. And I think he's going to get even better next year when you consider the fact that he's, I mean, he's only 20 years old. Um, or I guess not even 20 years old yet. I think he turns 20 in a week or so. Um, and so when you when you consider all those things, I think he's set to have a, a pretty big year. And I think it uh, not that Kansas wouldn't have been without him, but I think it definitely solidifies them as a top probably three team to start the season next year. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of hard to see to see any other team at this point that just kind of stacks up talent-wise. I mean, Texas has a, a pretty good recruiting class coming in, but you know we've seen how uh, hard it is to win with a bunch of freshmen. I mean, even Kentucky, when they're getting a bunch of top 25 one and done, has had problems putting it together for the entire season. Um, doesn't mean that Texas couldn't come on strong late in the year, but yeah, I mean, I think I think C coming back kind of locks up that Kansas as the preseason favorite for the Big 12. Not that Anybody else had kind of really taken that from them anyway. I, I have a hard time thinking anyone else is going to get that preseason love anyway um, until Kansas actually loses the conference. But, yeah, I will say, Svee coming back was definitely a huge shock. I mean, I had been preparing all day long to, to kind of be talking about, oh, well, he's finally gone, so now we can kind of look at what, what piece do we add. You know, we had that, uh, that grad transfer, and I, f- I forget his name, that, that mentioned that we were in his top six um, just last night, actually. And obviously now we don't have any scholarships even close to available for him. So that's kind of a moot point at this point. Um, you had made a comment about him, you know, probably not being good enough to get a lot of time here at Kansas. But, you know, obviously we don't have to think about that at all at this point. The one thing I will say is, um, you know, it's going to make our lineups next year extremely interesting. Um, mainly because, I mean, now we are completely loaded again in the uh, backcourt. And the front court is going to be pretty thin kind of like we were. Um, but the people we do have, and, and, I mean, we can kind of talk more about this as, as, as we go through and break this down, but the people we have, I think, lend us more towards that traditional two bigs down low. 
um, and just the three guards. But if, if we go with that lineup a lot, it's going to be kind of hard to get all of these guys on the floor. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I saw actually uh, Jesse Newell just tweeted uh, like five minutes ago about how uh, it's not as likely that they're going to see kind of a, uh, a four-guard lineup next year and they might return to kind of a traditional three out, two in. And, and, you know, in fairness, he talks to, you know, obviously Bill Self and, and other people around the program uh, a lot more than I do who talks to them never. But uh, I, I don't, I just, I guess, don't see how that they can do that. I mean, first of all, Azubuki is very foul prone um, and that's probably going to improve, but, you know, if he comes off the floor, uh, I mean, and, you know, I mean, Billy Preston, I think, is going to be uh, a guy who he might start, but he might not get, uh, I don't think he's going to get as much playing time as people seem to think he will, at least right away. And with, you know, Devontae Graham, Malik Newman, uh, LeGerald Vick, Svee, uh, Sam Cunliffe coming in at, at semester, uh, Marcus Garrett, who, um probably won't play a ton because he'll probably just be Graham's backup. But um, at the same time was, you know, Texas Gatorade player of the year. So he's no slouch. So with all that talent in the backcourt, um, I guess, are you really going to sit Spee or Vic or someone like that to play? And I mean, I, I like Mitch Lightfoot. I think he's going to be good. And, uh, you know, Jack Whitman has, has nice numbers. Um, but are you really going to sit, you know, Spee or Vic or Cunliffe or Malik Newman or someone like that to to play Mitch Lightfoot. I mean, that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. And then you add in the foul trouble that Azubuki's likely likely to have, and I just think it's impossible to get away from these small lineups. Well, and I mean, I, I do think that there's a lot to be said. Usually in any kind of team sport, it's nice to be a team that can be extremely versatile. And I think – you know, to kind of go along with the self, you know, a- adapting to what he has theme, I think this year more than any other year kind of gives us that versatility. We have a lot of guys back from that four-guard lineup team um, that know how to run that lineup, that have been working on it every single day. And so that's going to be something that I think can naturally fit with these guys, especially all these transfers that have been in here practicing with these guys, you know, practicing against these guys, working on these sets that, they, that they've been working on. Um, but, I mean, we also have the personnel now, at least, to have that more traditional, uh, you know, three-guard, two-forward lineup, um, especially if Preston comes on as strong as a lot of people are thinking that he's going to, that by the end of the year we can kind of develop and be able to play that. But, uh, you know, I, I, I do agree having so many guards and trying to find time for so many guards, I think this gives us a big advantage this year in that as long as, you know, people are able to see what they need to see in practice and that self can kind of keep it all straight for everybody. I could see this being a team more than ever that could play a four guard lineup for, you know, 12 minutes of a game, but seamlessly transition into the high low. And I mean, kind of move around to a bunch of different things. We always talk about you know, how it's good for a team to be able to attack in multiple different ways because, you know, your your main system can get shut down and it makes you very versatile and makes it so you have a much better chance of running deep in the tournament. I think though this is kind of the first year where everybody can actually contribute to multiple different sets and we could actually potentially see something we've never seen in having more than one main set that we run 
throughout the season. I mean, I don't know if it's likely because I know that self is, is definitely big on, you know, learning the sets at the beginning of the year and then kind of building it the rest of the year. But I think this is kind of a unique opportunity in that we have that experience running the four-guard lineup, but now we kind of have personnel that we can get back to sell some more traditional lineup. We could still use that um, to our advantage and kind of really get in there and, and, and mess with a lot of people, especially during conference season, I think. Yeah, I uh, I think, um, you know, I, I guess a lot depends on, on how Azubuki develops and, and a lot uh, depends on, like you said, how Billy Preston comes in. And I mean, I've seen him play twice, so I'm not really going to offer a lot about, you know, his game. I have no idea. Um, but it, I don't know. It just seems like with, you know, the personnel that other teams are going to have, um, it just seems like a better idea to spread everyone out. And, you know, one, one key, I guess, or one thing that, you know, the people saying that they're going to need to go three out two in always say is that, you know, Josh Jackson was six, eight or six, nine or whatever he is. And, and that obviously helped in terms of being able to rebound and being able to defend bigger guys and stuff. And, and I mean, all that's true, but I guess I just think that, you know, Mitch Lightfoot or Whitman or Preston is probably going to get bullied inside by a bigger, stronger foreman anyway. So you might as well play someone who can, you know, maybe stretch those guys out and make them pay for it on the other end. Um, but obviously they're going to have a lot of time to to worry about that later. Yeah, and, and, and I think in years past I probably would be a little bit more concerned about that just because, you know, Self had a, a definite system for so long um, where we hadn't really seen him be able to adapt on the fly like that. And I think this last year kind of set, set up for everybody to – be a little bit more at ease that, you know, we may not know how he's going to do it, but I'm pretty sure at this point he's going to find a way to do it. So, all right, well, let's go, go ahead and kind of move on there. I mean, we, we, we finally have the entire roster set. So I, I know we've talked a little bit about what's, what's going on. Um, well, what we expect to see from that lineup next year, but did you, did you have any thoughts? Or any other thoughts on the roster as a whole at this point, now that Seth Svi has finally decided for sure that he's coming back? Uh, well, yeah, what, you know, what do you think the – I mean, do you think the starting lineup's going to be uh, Graham, Newman, Svi, Preston, Azabuki? I mean, that's probably what it will end up being depending on how Preston comes along, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I have to agree with that. And actually, I was, I was looking on the site grad who I'd love to get on here to kind of talk about some of this at some point um, <laughs> was actually listing that as what he's expecting, um, you know, and obviously talking about kind of the small ball lineup replacing uh, Preston with Vic and maybe Cunliffe as soon as he's available. Um, and then obviously having the one post player being either Azabuke or Preston or whoever happens to be in at that moment and is in foul trouble. Um, I mean, I do think, I do think it's going to be kind of hard to keep Graham and Newman and Svi on the floor um, for, you know, the kind of, for the kind of length of time that we saw Mason and Graham and Jackson on the floor. Part of that, I think just being that, um, you know, we won't have that as versatile of a player in Jackson who can drop down to the four all the time. Um, so I think it's going to be a little bit harder. I do think we're going to have to rely a little bit more, on the, on the post players. But I do think in terms of starting lineup, yeah, we're, we're probably going to see 
either that particular 3-2 um, or a four-guard lineup, um, depending on what develops and how long it takes for them to kind of develop down low. I mean, we may get into a situation where the four-guard lineup's working so well that we just decide, well, you know, it'd be nice to have the depth for that lineup and not really try to focus too much on getting back into that 3-2. So I think a lot of it's going to depend on how well things go early and how well Preston develops. I do not see Lightfoot or Whitman able to hold down, you know, that, that four. So if we're worried, if, if Preston doesn't develop the way that we expect, I don't see him working into the starting lineup and sacrificing the potential depth that he would give us in a, in, in a different lineup. So I think Graham might have a shot at, at Mason's minutes played record uh, yeah. already <laughs> just because, you know, when, you know, last year Mason had Graham to be the point guard if, you know, he had to sit for a while or whatever. Um, and obviously Mason did a lot more than just be, you know, a point guard um, with, you know, his ability to bring up defense and score kind of whenever he wanted to. And, and Graham's not that same type of player and, and I don't think he's going to have the same type of season, um, even though they're, uh, they're advanced at their first, Three years actually stacked up pretty well. Um, Graham's just not not the same type of slasher that that Mason is. Um, but anyway, my my point is uh, that Graham has uh, Marcus Garrett has his backup, who again I, I really like, um, and Malik Newman, who I also like, but uh, Newman's not really a point guard um, as far as I can tell, and and Garrett's a freshman, so. There's not really a lot of uh, backup for him, so I think he's he's got a shot to to break the season um, minutes played record immediately, uh, which is uh, I, I guess probably good recruiting. You know, you come to Kansas and you're sure gonna play a lot of minutes if you're a good guard. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't know that I necessarily see it the same way. I do think I think I think I mean I think Mason kind of was on the floor all the time because we just. We didn't have, you know, we knew we were playing four guards. Um, and so we kind of had to make sure we kept him out there that long. And he was, you know, undeniably the leader of the team that kind of made the offense go. I mean, I think, I think Graham could f- end up filling that role, but I don't think it's necessarily quite as clear cut that he is going to kind of be the creator for the offense at the beginning of the season. I think he could work into that role, but I, I, don't, I don't see him there as, as that right now especially with feedback um, and trying to work in a lot of these other transfers that have been there. I think there's a lot that goes on during practice that we don't necessarily know at this point, if Graham is going to immediately step into and pull down the same kind of minutes that Mason did. I, I won't say that it's not possible. I just don't know that it's that clear cut at this point. Um, honestly, I would like, I would kind of like to see it just because I, you know, I, I like to, to see Graham on the floor. I like the way that he, he does leave the team. Um, in the in the time that he's had, you know, I, I remember that that Oklahoma game where he kind of completely shut down Buddy Heald, and I think that's kind of the the prototypical uh, Devonte Graham, you know, phenomenal performance. And I, I would love to see him being that shut down defensive guy and being able to to spark the offense at the same time. Um, but again, I think there's just there's there's too many new pieces, um, and his style of game. I mean, I think I think he would have to change the style of the way he's played the last few years to be able to step into that role. I just don't know with everything coming in, if that's what he's going to do, but it, it definitely is something that that's, that's possible. Yeah. You wonder if, uh, you know, Mason's defense really took, uh, 
yeah, this year with the fact that he had to, you know, carry such a load on, on offense. And then, you know, Kansas actually was a pretty good defensive team uh, in the tournament. Um, and I think a lot of that was because, you know, Mason got more rest and, and Graham got more rest and they got to, you know, amp up the pressure and stuff. Whereas, you know, in the regular season, they were just kind of lollygagging about for a lot of possessions and that's kind of how they'd get their rest and stuff. Um, right. And, and with Graham not being as much of an attacker, like you said, on offense, um, maybe the defense doesn't take as much of a hit because he's kind of going to be more of a, I think, kind of more of a spot-up shooter and passer rather than a, a guy who's going to slash into the lane a bunch. So maybe, uh, you know, the defense will, will have a chance to hold up a little bit better than it did uh, this past season. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really the the big thing is that because he doesn't slash as much, I think it kind of keeps the defense or a little bit set up more. Um, he's going to be more of that that jump shooter that can get back and help on defense a lot better. Um, you know, the one thing I will, the kind of one downside I will say to the way that Mason played the game is that he tended to crash inside and it would drag everybody out of position to be able to get back quickly on defense if he wasn't able to make the shot. Um, and so that definitely put us at a disadvantage defensively when he was driving in so far, so much and trying to kind of take the game over on his own. And we just kind of had guys out of position. So it, it'll definitely be a different look. I, I mean, I would not expect any in any way for this team to look a lot like it was last year, just because Frank Mason was kind of such a, an individual personality um, as the point guard there and the way that he played the game, I think affected the way a lot of other players were playing their game. So it, it'll definitely be interesting to kind of see what we have next year. Um, all right. Well, I, I think it's about time now for us to go ahead and jump into the, the Twitter questions. Um, obviously there's not really a whole lot else going on with basketball. And I think we've kind of talked the lineup stuff to death at this point. until we have a little bit more information about these new guys. Um, so, so let's go ahead and jump right in. I'll actually let you go ahead and pick the first one that we talk about. Which one uh, jumped out to you? Uh, well, it's the one actually that, uh, that you pointed out before we even got started, um, from, uh, J.E.R. Clawson. Uh, do you think Bill Self should stick with, uh, this new transfer method of, of giving recruits or, uh, more one and dones? So since I asked, you have to answer. Okay. Oh, well, that, that's, I, I guess it's a good thing that I'm, that I'm ready for that one. You know, I've seen a lot of national writers talking about how self has adjusted the way he does things and is going heavily into the transfer market. And I do think that that's a good thing. Um, it it kind of speaks to what we've been talking about all this last couple of years is his, his adaptability. Um, the other thing that, that kind of struck me, I mean, I, I do think that this, this transfer method is definitely a, a, a kind of a, a gold mine that's waiting to be harvested because we see a lot. Um, I, I was listening to the, uh, the latest CBS podcast uh, with uh, Gary Parrish and, and Matt Norlander this morning, actually, while I was getting ready for my flight. And they were talking about how North Carolina, you know, is kind of doing or is, is kind of setting an example for teams like Duke and Kentucky that are going out and getting all these one and done. North Carolina has won the ACC the last couple of years. And he was actually saying that of the last 46 top 25 recruits that they went after, they have only gotten three of them. Whereas teams like Kentucky or Duke are getting tons of these one and done. Um, but what he's been talking about is that, you know, these, these guys that are freshmen 
are already at a bit of a disadvantage because they don't have that consistency. They haven't had a chance to develop inside of a program, get used to the college game. Um, while they are phenomenally talented, you know, when you're trying to compete at a high level in, in the college game, you have to have that consistency. You have to have that base of players to go along with the one and done talent. So if you're heavily recruiting one and done, uh, you, you run into problems where you don't have that experience that you need to build a successful team over the long term. Um, and so, you know, this, this transfer method of getting guys and finding solid contributors that can come and spend a year on campus and then be those solid contributors as, you know, sophomores or juniors or even seniors is a, is a wonderful way, I think, to build the program. And it, I think it really is kind of the next, you know, college basketball recruiting bubble that's going to burst. We're going to see a lot of people, I think, getting into the transfers a lot more just because it is starting to work out really well for a lot of the teams that are doing it. Yeah, I guess I, I don't really have a, a ton to add, to be honest with you. Um, I think, obviously, Bill Self's going to keep re- recruiting the Josh Jacksons of the world. And, and uh, you know, even even though, I mean, uh, Checky Allo didn't work out, he's still going to want those guys because you want the most talent you can possibly have. Um, but in some sense, you know, if you're only going to have a guy for one year, um, so – like let's let's take you know Deidre Lawson for example. Kandras, uh probably is only going to have him uh, for one year after uh, you know he sits out next year, and then will be eligible. Um, he was uh, granted Memphis was not very good, uh, but he was the best player on that team by far. Uh, one of the best rebounders uh, in the conference. One of the best scorers in the conference. Uh, pretty good passer, pretty good shot blocker, drew a lot of fouls. Uh, you know, he was a, a highly sought after recruit, has two years of college basketball under his belt, um, and, and is going to be a, you know, a physically mature man, too. You know, he's not going to be an 18-year-old kid. Um, would you rather have one year of that guy who's physically mature, has a year to learn the system, or would you rather have a year of, of a guy like, I mean, even, you know, Kelly Oubre, who, yeah, he had a good year, but remember he spent the first uh, month or so of the season on the bench uh, because he didn't really, you know, understand how to play yet. Right. Um, I mean, for me, it's pretty obvious that, that that's the way to go. Um, and the other thing, too, with those transfers, you know, if, if you screw up taking one of those kids, um, you know, Charlie Moore, for example, if, if it turns out Charlie Moore is not good enough, well, you know, he's only going to be playing for three years rather than, than four. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, you can push kids out the door earlier and stuff too, I guess. That's not as big of a consideration. But, um, you know, I just think it's a it's a good thing to, to take these kids. It used to be where transfers were either, you know, not good enough or, or screw-ups or whatever. You had to kind of be a little bit more wary of them. I mean... I still remember Lester Earl coming from LSU uh, twenty some <laughs> years ago now, and and you know him being a, a screw up or whatever. Um, but nowadays, it's you know Charlie Moore's coach left, or uh, you know Tubby Smith fired Diedrich and KJ Lawson's dad, or you know all sorts of these things. And right. It could be you know a. Uh, a kid goes to a, a low major school and absolutely kills it and decides 
rather than playing four years there while well, I want to transfer up and, and try to play to Kansas. So there just aren't those red flags anymore. And I just think it's a, it's a pretty good way to, to spend your scholarships. And there's a lot less risk taking someone like that versus a, a four year guy, uh, maybe a lower ranked recruit who, who may or may not be good. And, you know, you, you can let, um, you know, maybe it's a, a back end of the top 100 kid like a Mitch Lightfoot who, you know, Kansas could take him or, you know, maybe Mitch Lightfoot, if this were, you know, a year or two from now, maybe Bill Self takes a transfer instead and, and Mitch Lightfoot goes to New Mexico or wherever. And then if he isn't good enough to play in New Mexico, Kansas doesn't have to take him. But if he kills it at New Mexico, then he can transfer and Kansas can get him. So it's really almost like removing a ton of risk. Right. I mean, and I, I, I do think, you know, obviously, you, like you said, you, you still go for the one and done. So I think the main point is that you shouldn't go for only one and done. I mean, I, I think that's part of what right. Kentucky has seen is that there's that big up and down because, you know, if you, if you have an, an entire recruiting class of, you know, five or six one and done, well, if, if four of them have a hard time adjusting to the college game right away, well, then you have a team that starts behind and has to come back and, and kind of find themselves in the middle of the season. Whereas if you only have one one and done and you've got, you know, three transfers, well, you know, you've got three guys that have done, you know, are used to the college game probably are, while they're, they're, their peak may not be the best, at least, you know, the floor isn't going to be nearly as bad as someone who's really struggling just coming to the college game. So obviously I don't think it's ever going to be a either or with transfers or, you know, one and dones, but there's definitely the right balance. I think that, that a, a, a place like Kansas or, or UNC even has kind of gotten that balance a lot. Right. Uh, I, I think compared to some of these other teams like Duke and Kentucky. Yeah. They, you know, they get lauded really, really well at the beginning of the year because they've got all this talent coming in, but until it, you know, kind of gels, it's, it's hard to really see for sure that that's going to turn into a title. I mean, the, the last two title favorites have been, um, well, teams like that Duke and Kentucky, and then they just haven't been able to live up to it because they haven't been able to get rolling from the beginning and then kind of carry that success over. Then they don't have, you know, that postseason experience or any of that other experience that's become really important in the, in the uh, tournaments at this point. So. I think, uh, I think the other thing too, um, is that, um, like you mentioned with Kentucky, when you're taking all of the uh, one and done guys, you're kind of at the mercy of how good that class is. Um, And so, for example, I mean, this year with Garen Fox and Malik Monk and all that, um, it was a, it was a, you know, pretty highly considered class. And I mean, I think you saw that with Kentucky, you know, yeah, they had their bumps like you will with the young team, but they ended up being, you know, really good and and making the elite eight and finishing top 10 for sure. And I think top five in Ken Palm. Um, but next year, you know, the class supposedly as a whole isn't as good. So even though Kentucky's taking, you know, the best of that class, you're you're starting at a lower point uh, against the against the field. So that's another issue where you know maybe you're recruiting some uh, transfers or just you know three and four year guys would help you out a little bit better. Right. All right, let's go ahead and jump into the next question. I'll go ahead and pick one up here. Um, 
Let me see. Let's go ahead and grab one of the ones from uh, David. It's at David Stat Guy. Um, where did that one go? Oh, so uh, he asked, what is the single biggest thing next year's basketball team will be lacking? And I'll, I'll let you go ahead and start with that. Hmm. Well, uh, I mean, unless you want to say a, a player of the year, um, <laughs> I think it's what we've already talked about in that, you know, the, the interior and probably the interior defense uh, specifically um, is going to be a little bit of an issue. I mean, Azubuki was a really good interior defender last year when he wasn't committing a ton of fouls. Um, and I think, you know, I think he's going to be even better, and I think he's going to be a really good shot blocker uh, this next year. But um, after him, uh, you know, Mitchell, I thought, was a pretty good help defender in terms of rim protector, and I think it was pretty good uh, as far as, you know, getting out on the perimeter and stuff, but he just wasn't strong enough yet. Um, assuming he's going to get stronger, uh, which obviously he's going to working with Hootie, um, I think he's going to, you know, be a little bit better. But, you know, Billy Preston, who knows? Uh, Whitman, who knows? You know, there's a lot of question marks there. So I'm going to go with interior defense. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I think that that's kind of the easy answer would be either interior defense or interior depth. The one thing that I'm not seeing on this team next year, as of now, and, and maybe someone can kind of step up into that role, would be the energy guy. I mean, I know that we kind of had a little bit of a talk about Whitman potentially being able to step into that role. Um, but, you know, that's kind of the one thing that the really good or the even the the teams that weren't necessarily seen as good but were surprising to people had was a, a guy that could come off the bench and just jolt the lineup and get them to kind of perform at a higher level than they had been, like a Kevin Young or, or someone like that. I don't, I don't see a guy on this team that at this point I'm confident can do that can come off the bench and kind of spur everybody to, to play better than they had been. Hopefully we find someone, hopefully someone, one of the guards is able to come in and kind of be that spark. Um, and obviously we have a lot of new pieces, so it's potential, you know, th there's a lot of potential there for us to find someone between now and then. But at this point with us having so much coming back, I think that's kind of the biggest role that we could use that we just don't have set at this point. Uh, given that my nickname for Mitch Lightfoot is uh, 120% of Kevin Young, I think I would I would be remiss if I didn't uh, mention him as a potential energy guy off the bench. Maybe not this year, um, right. I guess. Um, but I, I think um, I think he will um, either, you know, definitely next year and the year after for sure. Although I think right. there's a there's a good chance he's a starter, I think, as he moves forward. But I think I think he's got a chance uh, to be that guy this year. But well, you're right. I mean, definitely not, definitely not set in stone. Yeah, I mean, and and honestly, you know, Kevin Young towards the end, I mean, he he cracked the starting lineup somewhat. So I don't necessarily think that it it has to be someone who definitely comes off the bench. But you know, even even of our starters, I can't think of someone who can you know, go on the, go on the bench for a little while and come back in and immediately spark the team or can just at, at some point pick it up and, and spur everybody to be playing a whole lot better um, and, and picking up their energy. So hopefully that's something we find. And hopefully you're right that that Lightfoot can kind of 
turned into that role. I just don't know at this point, unless he gets a lot stronger, how much he's actually going to be on the floor. Um, now, granted, he could fulfill that role without actually having to be out on the floor a lot, you know, come in for a couple minutes here and there and everybody picks up their game and then sub him out and, and it, it, it continues. Um, we actually saw that a little bit with Kevin Young at the beginning of that, of that season where he was, you know, our go-to energy guy. But um, yeah, that's, I, I think that's really the only thing that's missing a, a clear cut answer at this point. I mean, we've, we've got a lot of different guys coming back that can step into a lot of different roles and hopefully light Lightfoot is able to step into that role. Like you think he will be. All right, let's jump back into the next question. I'll go ahead and grab another one. Um, David again uh, asked, will we continue to see more threes from Kansas with a more traditional lineup returning next year? Um, and I, I mean, I, I do think that we kind of talked a little bit about what we expect for the lineups. I'm not sure that we're going to return to that traditional lineup as much as he's probably thinking um, with the way that that question came through. But, um, you know, I, I guess the, the trend in college basketball has been to be shooting more and more threes. Um, do you think that that kind of continues with this Kansas team continuing to shoot a lot more threes that they did, or, or, or do you think we're going to try to go back to the high low and, and do more two point shots? Oh boy. Um, man, if I had a dollar for every time I thought about this, um, <laughs> you know, I think that I settle around right around the, you know, 35% of, of shots that they take will be from three, uh, this year. And I think a lot of that is just cause you know, how, how can you avoid it with, you know, Graham, uh, who took, uh, like 220 something or something like that, 242 last year. And he's probably going to take right around that many, uh, again, this year, um, you know, Malik Newman took a hundred and some as a freshman at, uh, Mississippi state. Um, and I mean, you just 161 to be exact. Uh, you know, Sam Cunliffe shot 40% from three as a freshman. Uh, Speedy shot 40 something percent uh, last year. Um, Vic cooled off a little bit, but still uh, shot a pretty good percentage from three, uh, and probably will get even better. Um, you know, Speedy was at 40% exactly, well, 39.8%, so 40%. Vic was at 37%. Um, you just look at those numbers and it just doesn't make a lot of sense to, to not take threes. Um, one issue there though is, uh, Kansas probably isn't going to have the driver to draw the defense. I mean, Frank Mason obviously attracted a lot of attention whenever he put the ball on the floor. Josh Jackson did as well. Um, those are kind of the two main drive and kick guys. Um, Lajell Vick has the ability to, to drive and get into the lane. Uh, obviously he's super athletic. Um, Speed is, I think, you know, maybe a little bit more athletic than he gets credit for and can probably be a driving kick guy, but certainly not to the level that, you know, Mason and Jackson were. So that might cut down on some attempts. Um, I think in order to get their attempts up, they're going to have to run a little bit more. Um, maybe they'll have to, to dump it into Azubuki and, and I mean, Preston's going to be more of a, a stretch four guy, I guess, but, you know, giving it to them and, and letting them pass it out, who knows how good uh, they're going to be at doing that. Um, so, you know, it might take them a while to find the attempts, but I guess with how good a shooter those guys are, I mean, I guess I don't really know why you would not want to shoot a bunch of threes. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I was kind of thinking along the same lines that, I mean, I do think that we're going to be shooting around the same amount of threes. I think the way we get them, kind of like you were saying, is going to be a little bit different. Um, I, I definitely do think that we will start to go back to that high-low a little bit more. And, you know, traditionally that's how we had created three-point shots was throw it down low, let the defense collapse, kick it out to the open shooter, and let it take it. Um, you know, I, I still think you're right that the percentages are there enough that we're definitely going to want to keep working on getting the three open and shooting it. Um, I just think it'll be a little bit different of how we get there because you're right. I mean, Frank Mason was – a lot of what opened it up in that he would drive and people would collapse on him and it would get the, get the same effect of throwing it down low to a big man and that everyone collapses and it opens up a three-point shooter. Um, we'll definitely see quite a few uh, because we do have so many good three-point shooters. We'll see quite a few of those shots. I just, I just, I, I know for a fact it's not going to come the same way as often. Um, I'm sure we'll still have some guys that will try to drive and, and hopefully one of these new guys will kind of have that in his game to be able to do that enough to kind of keep the defense honest. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm guessing we're going to see a lot more creative ways for us to get those three point shots than just have someone drive in from the outside and, and go from there. So, all right. One last uh, topic I think that we'll kind of jump on. Um, and mainly because I just made a comment earlier today that we would talk about this during the podcast, but uh, warden on the article that, that talked about Svee coming back had said, um, you know, asked about if, if we really thought that that scholarship opening up was a lucky coincidence that allowed Svee to come back. Um, and of course, by that, he's talking about with Colby transferring. Um, I, I did say on there, and, and, and Greg kind of stole my thunder a little bit here, um, you know, I, I've said in the past that I do think that the Whitman signing was more in response to knowing that Colby was planning on transferring. Um, assuming that all the graduation stuff became official. Um, and, and so I don't, I don't think that Svi coming back was ever going to be out of the question because I don't think that we recruited somebody for his scholarship. We recruited Whitman knowing that, it, that, that Colby was pretty much gone at that point. Um, if Svi had not come back, I'm sure we would have found somebody um, that we would have taken as a, as a grad transfer or we would have just had the scholarship open. And, and, and would have gone into the next year with an open scholarship, which is something that, you know, I, I would not put past self if he didn't have anybody that he absolutely wanted to have. Um, and so, I mean, I, I don't think we were ever in the situation of the not being able to come back if he wanted to. Um, any, any thoughts on that? No, I, I, uh, I 100% agree with you there, I guess. I, uh, I think, you know, it sounds like, you know, they were just kind of, um, frustrated or what have you with his knee and, and really not being able to make it all the way back. Um, and it sounds like, you know, it sounds like it wasn't like they were, you know, thinking he wasn't working hard or, or mad at him or anything of that nature, just, you know, an issue with the knee just wasn't cooperating and that's the way it goes sometimes. And, uh, I'm sure Colby wants to go somewhere where he can actually, you know, play basketball for more than, you know, two or three minutes at a time. And, <laughs> right. Um, he probably, you know, was looking around um, once he knew he was going to graduate and everything. And um, I think that that's, you know, you're right. I think, you know, they, they basically made a, a Colby for, for Whitman trade um, without really considering what was going to happen uh, with speed at all. Right. And, and honestly, I do think that's why we were kind of, um, 
in the mix for that grad transfer. Uh, again, I, I kind of feel bad because I don't remember his name and I haven't really had a chance to look it up. Um, but he was kind of, you know, we were kind of keeping the options open there in case he decided that he wanted to go ahead and go, um, which I would not have blamed him at all, but it sounds like he didn't get the guarantee from any team that they were going to take him um, in the NBA draft. And he would rather come back to school than go play overseas for a year. So I'm not, you know, I'm not, Obviously, I'm, I'm happy to have Steve back. It's definitely going to make us a, mu- a much better team, but it sounds like they were kind of prepared for whether he came back or not, and, and none of this had anything to do with his decision at this point. So, all right. Well, um, were, was, was there any other uh, Twitter questions you really wanted to get to tonight, or, or was that about it for you? Uh, I don't even think that there are any more, are there? Well, I, I don't know that we want to catch Fizzle's uh, joking question about firing Bill Self and replacing him with Sean Hannity. But, uh, <laughs> no, we'll just, uh, I don't want to swear on the podcast. So. Right, exactly. I think we'll just kind of leave that one alone. Um, and other than that, oh, the only other one, uh, there was a question from Podcat um, at Valley Shook that said, why is Kansas? And it kind of just stopped there. And I said that I was going to treat this as a fill-in-the-blank question, which I will finish the question and then answer it on the podcast. So I will kind of leave that as my final thought. Um, you know, and, and so I will say, why is Kansas the best basketball program in the big 12? And easily that is because of Bill Self, um, you know, at this point, at, at this point, obviously we've had plenty of great coaches in the past, but I think if anyone other than Bill Self was the coach of this team, um, with the way that the game is changing so much, you know, he's kind of the, the perfect person to take this program into the future. You know, he actually, uh, just started recently, his two-year term as the uh, National Association of Basketball Coaches president, which I think is a great thing for him. It's a great thing for exposure for Kansas. Um, and I, I do kind of think it keeps him as a coach at the forefront of what's going on with the game. So um, going into the future there, you know, I, I can't imagine having anyone other than self at the helm of this program. And hopefully it stays that way for a long time. Did you have any thoughts on, on how you wanted to finish that question? And, and, and answer? Yes, I do, actually. All uh, right, go right ahead. My finish would be, why is Kansas not a Division One hockey school? And, uh, my answer is, uh, first of all, they absolutely should be. But um, it's pretty expensive to, to get a program up and running, unfortunately. And uh, it's either going to require uh, some donor to step up, and I don't have the, you know, 70-plus million dollars it would take. No capital there. Dang. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> The uh, the other, you know, only other thing they could do would be to play their games at the Sprint Center, but that's obviously, you know, quite a drive and, and tough to do. And, and also so quite a financial commitment there, so. Right. So they're, they're probably SOL, but I think, the, I think the move would be to have a, uh, have a donor come in and, you know, let's get an arena built and, and let's get a program and use that to – shoehorn our way into the Big Ten uh, because the Big Ten, uh, first of all, you know, the Big 12 is going to go away once the grant of rights expires. And, Probably. Uh, you know, I've heard and read a lot of people say that Kansas is pretty high on their wish list, but, you know, Big Ten hockey has uh, just six members now, I think, with the addition of, of Notre Dame. Uh, it might be seven, but I think it's only six. And right. so, Kansas would be, uh, you know, another member, and they would be the first program other than, well, Nebraska-Omaha is close, but kind of the first program reaching down even south. I mean, there's Alabama-Huntsville, but they're not very good. 
Um, <laughs> and St. Louis is actually emerging as one of the kind of one of the hotbeds of youth hockey now. And you know, you go ahead and start recruiting those kids, and and bam, all of a sudden you get a hockey power too. So. Uh, Kansas absolutely should be a Division One hockey program. I would not mind that at all. And I, I think at this point we'll just kind of have to settle for supporting the club team. Um, and, in fact, I've been kind of talking. Uh, we, we definitely need to kind of get in touch with them and, 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 and see if we can get some of those guys on the uh, podcast so we can kind of talk a little bit more about the hockey team. So I know I've been wanting to kind of expand into the, the, the non-revenue sports and kind of do some more about some of the other things that are going on on, on on campus, some of the other programs that are performing pretty well. So I think that would be the kind of perfect jumping point uh, for us to, to branch out into other things. So hopefully we can get them on the, on the podcast soon here uh, to kind of preview and get ready for next year. So, all right. Well, I think at this point we're going to kind of wrap up the basketball segment. Any, any final thoughts before we uh, jump off the air here? Uh, nope, I'm, I'm ending on the hockey talk. All right, sounds, sounds good to me. All right, well, then in that case, um, that's it for tonight's episode. Instead of doing another segment here, we're going to go ahead and break off the football and baseball discussion for tomorrow, uh, tomorrow being Thursday night. And we'll probably be recording during the Thursday night baseball game. So we'll bring you those updates on the podcast. We'll also talk about today's big win against TCU. And obviously, we'll have some football talk for you as well. So uh, check back tomorrow, and we'll have another episode for you. We'll catch you next time on the next episode of the Rock Chalk Talk Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.